0: The gospel this morning is from the 16th chapter of Matthew. From that time on, after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human ones. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. Say hi to Heather.
1: Thank you, Kelly, for reading. God's grace and peace wherever you are today. We had our last summer outside prayer service on Wednesday night. And as we ended, I asked if there was prayers anyone had that they would like prayed aloud. So a hand was raised and a voice spoke. Please pray that God is faithful because what I see is a world falling apart. Please pray that we can trust that God's promises are real and true. Those honest words caught me off guard. They articulated What I and I think we have been feeling over this year, especially this summer, we have been asking ourselves, God, are you sure your promises are really for certain because things don't seem to be getting much better? There's continued suffering personally, communally, nationally, and worldly I remember, Pastor Joel, you preaching earlier this spring about the murky middle of this time, and there was a bit of hope that day that the middle means that we must at least be halfway through, but now as we end August, how do we even know that we are halfway when we cannot know the whole Weary is the word that I've been hearing from you lately. The school district where my kids attend had a five-hour school board meeting this week. Just imagine that. The masked faces of the superintendent and school board members and administrators trying to create ways to meet all the needs, craft responses to every scenario, confirm final dates. Email boxes are blowing up with frustrated parents and concerned teachers. The meeting ended that night with no clear decision on how school would start for us. And then in that indecision, the realization that whatever model that school will open is only feasible for that moment, conditions can change in an instant to bring the known back to unknown. Again this week, we are swimming in the angst of racial injustice with the shooting of Jacob Blake and the recharged unrest in Minneapolis. Even trying to engage in conversations about race with those we love is tenuous. Hopes are getting crushed as we look to the fall, how 2020 will end. It seems every way forward is full of setbacks, disappointments, high risks, and unknown outcomes. And we are wired to fix things, right? Just tell us what is wrong and we'll fix it. We can be smart and innovative, even step by slow step. But there's no way right now to plug all the leaks. Suffering morphs more suffering. What we are experiencing are things that cannot be fixed. We need to sit with them The work requires time, introspection, intentional conversations, and really seeing others more than we see ourselves. And so we try to faithfully confess that God is present in all things, but what do we do when we can't find God's presence? And maybe that is why Peter's response to hearing that Jesus must suffer and die seems so reasonable. God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. Peter is crying out, please, not like this, oh God. And Jesus' response to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but human things. There's something real, raw, and incomprehensible about a God who suffers. Peter's response is our response and our prayer. Is suffering really the way you choose to save the world, God? We really don't understand, and we would prefer a different way. It's hard right now to set our mind on divine things as we muddle through the despair of so many human things. I remember those horseshoe magnets growing up, and they came as a kit. I would see them in the J.C. Penney Christmas catalog and in toy stores. When the magnet hovered over the pile of stuff that came in the bag, it would instantly attract the steel shavings and the screws and leave the marbles and the plastic shapes behind. Oh, if it were really that simple to distinguish divine things from human things. How are we to strengthen faith or even to go on when we cannot easily figure out the ways of God. And Jesus doesn't provide much help in this story, other than to make it really clear that the way of God is to save the world, is to suffer and die, a way that is foolish, inefficient, and weak. Immediately after Jesus is born, Joseph in a divine dream flees with Mary and the baby Jesus to avoid Herod's slaughter of all the newborn babies. From the very beginning, there is a warfare between the powers of this world and the powers of God. In Jesus' resurrection, Matthew writes of an earthquake. The immense plates of the earth, compacted and pressed through time and gravity, actually break apart and move to signal the pain and movement of salvation and new creation. The conquest, the warfare of evil and good, death and life seem to be woven into the fabric of Matthew's narrative from beginning to end. When the Apostle Paul speaks to the people of Corinth about Holy Communion, Paul says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Maybe this is why we are called back to God's table each week to be fed with bread and wine, crackers and juice and to hear these words through suffering and death my body is given for you and my blood is shed for you. And when we gather to do this simple act of eating and drinking together we proclaim the Lord's death We proclaim suffering, the cross, a death that did not make one ounce of sense to the world. But we proclaim that this is the way of God to make a way, to create faith from suffering and death. Comes life. And so Jesus calls us to take up a cross and follow. We are called to get behind the one who was crucified, died, and was buried, who descended into hell and on the third day rose again. And maybe this cross and following is the praying for God to be faithful. Maybe it is a divine restlessness in our hearts and spirits, knowing the world cannot stay like this. That God's love has conquered and this divine vision holds true even when we doubt it. And that even in our weariness, God chooses us and calls us because we have something to offer to make this real and true in the world. And yet, in an instant, we go back to all that is weighing us down, and it doesn't seem to be enough. It's really okay to pray to God to be faithful, to question yourself and together, where is God in all of this? And in this story today that's hard to hear and understand jesus continues to show us in our doubt god is faithful in our weariness god is faithful in our wrongdoing and missed attempts god is faithful when we don't know what to do next god is faithful in our awkward conversations god is faithful when evil seems to overtake the world god is faithful in death In life, God is faithful. And so you showed up today, and we continue to gather, to be forgiven, to be fed, to be called, to carry a cross for the sake of others, and to pray with honesty. God is faithful.
0: Amen.